We're going to do another favorite verse out of the favorite verse series. Um, and then uh, next week we'll be starting something new. But uh, I thought it would be fun to do this particular verse um, that we'll be looking at today. The title of this message is The Recipe for Genuine Love. No, I did not get it from Hallmark. The Recipe for Genuine Love. And, and it just kind of stood out to me as I was reading this passage. So, so we're going to read the passage. Then we are going to pray and ask God to, to bless our time. Okay? The passage is from 1 Timothy 1. Uh, the verse, the particular verse that was, was offered was verse 5, but I'm going to put a little context in it and start at verse 3. So uh, if you would follow along with me. 1 Timothy 1, 3-5. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Let's pray. So, Father, as we look at your word this morning, we ask, Lord, that you would open it up to us, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our mind, that you would give us something this morning that would help us as we walk our walk with you, as we walk in the world in this day and age. We need your help. We need your guidance. And we ask, Lord, that you would use us as your vessels as we live out our lives here on this earth. So we thank you, Lord. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The word love here, verse 5, the aim, the aim of our charge is love. Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The word love is used for many different things. We, we, we use the word love, I love this particular restaurant, I just love it, you know, or I loved that movie. You know, there are just particular things we express about love, and we, we do it to show an emotion, to show something that we like about it. And we also use it to encourage people we, uh, we try to encourage, you know, we really love you, I'm committed to you, I'm, you know. We, we use the word love in many different ways. Basically, agape love has a lot of different aspects to it and facets to it, and we want to gain a little understanding about that first before we get into the other, the other things. And we take these facets and we use them and we call it loving. But sometimes we just take the little facets, the, the, the little characteristics of love, and we think that we're loving when we say, I am committed to you. I'm committed to you. 
or I, I believe you, I'm, I'm believing with you, I'm standing with you, I hope things go well for you. You know, I'm sending my love. We, we, that's a goodie. I don't know what that does. I'm sending my love to you. It's kind of like some sort of spooky thing that's going out and uh, getting to you. It's done and good. I've, I've had relatives say that to me too recently. So um, we make a kind gesture, kindness, you know, that was showing love to people. The problem is a lot of times when we take these little facets of love and we take them and we, and we do some of them, what ends up happening is we say, hey, I, I was loving. I can check that off my list. There's nothing more I have to really say about it. But if we're taking 1 Corinthians 13 and we're looking at that and we're saying that love is patient and love is kind and it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, that's all part of that love chapter. It also says not being arrogant or rude. That's loving is not being arrogant or rude, not envying or boasting, not irritable or resentful. See, love is all these things. There's a lot of different facets to love. There's a lot of different aspects to love. A lot of times we'll say, I love them because I didn't bite their head off today. You know, there are different things that we use to describe our love, which well, it's questionable whether it's really love. But love, true scriptural love, is part of being a Christian. We are supposed to be loving. We're not going to be perfect. We need to grow in it. But it's something that we aim for. It's something that is a goal that we are reaching for to be loving. So we're going to look at love today in light of what Paul is telling Timothy in his situation. And he says the aim and the goal, which means the outcome or the purpose, the end result is where we want to end up. And that is love. That's where we're working toward. Now we may think that it's a daunting task to be loving. And, and it can be a daunting task, but scripture tells us in 1 John 4, 19, scripture says we love because he first loved us. We can love because God first loved us. Therefore, we can do this with God's help. My main point this morning is with God's help, the aim, the goal, and the outcome of what we're to learn is to love. With God's help, the aim, the goal, and the outcome of what we're to learn is to love. And my points come from this. And we're supposed to love from a, per, uh, from a pure heart. This is where love comes from, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So we're going to look at these three things. And these are the three things that are keys in living a life that's expressing the love of God. So it's important for us to gain understanding, and we're going to look at a pure heart first. Paul's concern for the church that they wouldn't be drawn away. They wouldn't be drawn away from, from just all the things that were going on during that time. The people were, were teaching myths 
and endless genealogies and speculations. They don't, don't be drawn away by a different doctrine. Don't be drawn away from a different teaching. Romans 13 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So love is way up on the list, and we don't want to be distracted from our loving one another, our caring for one another. So love is very important in the Christian life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love plays such an important part in our lives, and we forget about it. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I certainly don't express it uh, in this world today. If the aim or the goal or the outcome of what we learn and what we are taught or are charged with is to love, then we need to evaluate, first thing we need to evaluate is what we, what we teach. If the aim is to bring forth love, what are we teaching? What are we telling people? Is that promoting love? We also need to evaluate what we're taking in. What are we taking in? Because if somebody's teaching something, well, somebody's taking it in. So we have to evaluate what we're taking in. There's a lot of stuff out there. We need to evaluate that. We need to be discerning of what we're taking in. We will get distracted. We will get drawn away by taking things in that are not helping us spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about just, you know, watching a cartoon or watching a movie or watching something like this. I'm talking about a lot of different things, which we'll get into in a minute, that can cause our lives to become divided because we start to waver in what we believe, what we hold to, and love is not part of that equation. We tend to accept whatever sounds good to us along the way. That's the problem with society today. If it sounds good, well, then let's go it. We, we find that it, it doesn't lead to love at all, but it sounded good to us. But many times what it does is it brings anger and division, strife, anxiousness, and it doesn't give us any peace. In this day and age that we're in today, we have access to more information than anyone has ever had in the history of mankind. Some of us would say, that's really good. Look at all the information we have. I can say, well, I think it's just as bad as it is good to have the information that we have. See, we too often use our own filter to decide whether it's good or not. Is this good or isn't it? Well, feels good. Feels good to me. I like it. I like what he says, so I'm going to go with it. I, I'm, podcasts are famous for this. I think podcasts are very dangerous. Now, podcasts are good. I'm not throwing out podcasts, but I think a lot of podcasts, and I know people in particular who listen to podcasts that have been drawn away from the Lord and have been drawn away from the church, have been drawn away from Christianity, and have been drawn away from love because they have listened to podcasts of people that aren't necessarily credible in certain areas of their lives, but they liked it. Their filter that they were using accepted it, and they swallowed it hook, line, and sinker, and therefore they got caught, and they got pulled away. Many times we just get stirred up and we get upset with people over listening to these things and anger builds up 
and it just stirs everybody up, and love seems to be missing in the midst of all that. The song we used to sing, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Sometimes that's missing. Not that we need to sit around the campfire and sing that. But just because something is available to us, it doesn't automatically mean that it's good for us. Otherwise, I'd be eating more things that I should be eating, that I shouldn't be eating. So what's happening in our passage is this, this problem in verses 3 and 4. Paul is trying to say to Timothy, there's a, there's a problem here. Verses 3 and 4 says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine." nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship or oversight or management from God that is by faith. So let's look at a pure heart. Let's define this. A pure heart, a heart refers to the, the soul or the mind of an individual. It's the fountain, the seat of thoughts and passions and desires, appetites, affections, purposes, endeavors. All this is retained in the Greek. They try to combine all these things in a particular word. And the heart is a very active part of man. It's a spiritual part of man. It's not our literal heart, but it's a spiritual part of, the, of man. Matthew 15, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It tells, we can tell where someone's at sometimes by what they're saying unless they're a really good liar. We can tell what's going on in their lives. The heart is the seat of our emotions. It's the center of our passions. And as Christians, we're aiming those so that we can demonstrate love. That's what we want to do. That's what God wants us to do. That's what his word tells us to do. And we want to do it through a pure heart. So we want to be biblically based. We want these passions and desires and affections and emotions and sensibilities and endeavors and purposes to show how our heart is towards love. What's your heart pointing to when you think about it? Where is your heart pointing to? So you're driving down the highway. There's a lot of traffic. It's all backed up. There are cars everywhere, and people want to keep cutting in and moving around, and you're sitting there, and you go, go ahead, and you wave, you smile, go ahead, and you say, oh, I was loving to do that, but really, inside, you hate their guts, okay? We might say, aren't I loving? I'm waving to them. I care for them. But you don't. You're stirred up. Is it a pure love a heart of love? Or was it just one of those facets? Oh yes, I cared for them enough to let them in. And I'm saying that I love them. How do you feel towards your spouse? You may fulfill the job description of a husband or a wife, but how's your heart? Is it passionately impatient? Resentful? Or is it forgiving? and lovingly patient, humble, growing in love. We all need to grow in these things. And it was Timothy's job, poor Timothy, 
It's Timothy's job to try to get people to see this, to, to make sure that a charge was given and that certain persons were not teaching what they were teaching, devoting themselves to myths. And myths are, are fictions and fables. That's what myths are. And endless genealogies or to promote or offer their own suggestions or their speculations. Speculations means to, to search out something for yourself, to scrutinize it and investigate it and to crave it because you want it so badly. That's what speculations means. Those Greeks, I'll tell you. Paul says, don't let people add to the teaching. Don't let people take scripture and add something to it in the name of improving it. Church history is full of that. If you look at church history, you see all these different denominations, all these different churches, and they all had something because they wanted to improve it a little more. Let's emphasize this thing. Let's emphasize that thing. Then you have people that say, you know what, Jesus did come and he died, but, you know, he covered sin, everything's fine, we don't even have to worry about it, we can live the way we want. I don't think scripture says that either. I think scripture is clear that we need to repent of our sins and accept Christ as our savior, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and on the day of judgment or when Jesus comes again, we will find out what the truth is. But scripture's pretty clear. Too often we want to make it a little more palatable. Let's not make it too hard for people. Now let's leave scripture as scripture. Let's not try to think we're removing defects in scripture because there aren't any defects in scripture. The bottom line is this, is your passion to show God's love to those around you. Is that your passion, to show God's love to those around you? If not, we need to check our heart. Do we have a pure heart? Let's go to the next thing, a good conscience. How's your conscience? Well, let's find out if it's good. Good means good. It means pleasant. It means agreeable or joyful or happy. This is your conscience. Do you have a good, agreeable, happy conscience? An excellent conscience, distinguished, upright, and honorable. That's what good means. Conscience defines is, is distinguishing between what is morally good and bad. It's distinguishing between what is morally good and bad. That's what your conscience does. And if you have a good conscience, hopefully, you're distinguishing between what is good, biblically good, and biblically bad. Prompting to the good, to, to, uh, to the good, uh, or promoting the good, and then shunning the bad. That's, that's the thing. Commending one, condemning another, so to speak. The good we want to be a part of. It, it, our conscience is kind of a moral compass, in a way if we are scripturally based, because people, you know, have moral compasses that aren't biblically moral, but they're personally moral. Um, but scripture-wise, if um, our consciences are being sanctified, we are going to have more of a moral compass that's pointing us in the right direction and going the right way. 
So our verse says love comes out of a good conscience. That's one of the things. It's pure heart and a good conscience. How does it do that? When we have a good conscience, we have a clearer understanding of ourselves in light of God's word. We have a clearer understanding of ourselves in light of God's word if we have a good conscience. We also have a greater understanding of the world in light of God's world, word. We also have an understanding of the world in light of God's word. So if you take those two things together and we realize that we can put them together, we have an understanding of ourselves, an understanding of how the world works. But a lot of times we don't listen to that. And then we just act accordingly and we're tainted by something, our own desires, our own convictions, or what the world is saying. And it affects our viewpoint. It affects what's going on in our lives. It affects our actions. Have you ever done anything that kind of bothered your conscience? Is there anything you've ever done and you just felt there was something not right that you've done that bothered you? You said a harsh word to somebody. And then you just walked away. You did something that you knew wasn't right. If, you bo if it bothered you, that's good. That means there's a sensitivity there. So it's good if it bothered you, but what did you do with it? Now, too often, what we end up doing with things like this is we bury them. We just emotionally bury things, and we just put it away, and we don't want to deal with it because it's embarrassing. It's humbling to deal with these things. Oh, God likes us to be humble, doesn't he? But we just kind of brush them away. We don't want to deal with our problems. We don't want to deal with other people's problems. We don't want to talk to people because it's too hard to work these things out. That's not very loving. It's not very loving. Maybe there's an action that you did that didn't really affect anyone else, but it was between you and God. It was between God and yourself. Again, the good thing is if it bothered you, that's a sign of spiritual sensitivity. That's a good thing. But what did you do with it? What it does, it positions you to go to God. When our conscience bothers us, we are positioned in a way to deal with it. And if we deal with it in a right way, and if we move forward in a right way, God is going to do things that are going to bless. And that's something that is good. God, who loves and forgives and restores, is setting an example here for us. So what does God desire us to do? He desires us to love, to forgive, and to restore. God is our example. God is the one who set things the way they are. God is the one who is our guide, and we're to go act accordingly. Once that happens, our conscience is good. It's clear. If it isn't, then we have to realize, well, forgiveness and restoration hasn't happened, and therefore love is left out of the equation. So that's how we find out whether love is being expressed here. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is your conscience clear? Is it good? Do I have anything that is hindering my relationship with God? Do I have anything hindering my relationship with my family? Is it bothering you? <laughs> 
Is it bothering you? Do I have anything hindering my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church? The church today it runs rampant, not this church, but the church in general runs rampant with things that are never dealt with. And it's sad, and it's not an expression of God's heart. Do I have any issues with my neighbors? Do I have any issues with those who have mistreated me that have not been dealt with? Is it bothering me? What you have to do is bring these things to God. Then bring them to others. And then love, forgive, restore. That's what God's heart is. Then you have a good conscience. And then finally, let's look at sincere faith. A sincere faith. Now we know what faith is, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's an assurance. There's a confidence in there. If we have faith, we, we, feel, we feel secure in God when we have that. In the things that aren't even seen, it's the basis of our belief system. I believe God is there. I believe that he sent Jesus to die for my sins. These are faith statements, faith happenings that we want to have deep and embedded in us. It's our belief system. But sometimes our faith becomes, what's the best way to put it? Our faith becomes too comfortable or our faith becomes lazy our faith becomes worn out. I, I used to have a sweatshirt. It was one of my favorite sweatshirts. Roxanne loved this sweatshirt. It was orange. It was a triple X, it might have been a quadruple X, large FedEx sweatshirt that I got when I worked for FedEx. I loved this sweatshirt. I used to wear it everywhere and I would just do things. And, after a while, you know, it became all frayed and everything, and it would come down to my knees. And I would just love that sweatshirt. And after a while, you know, you just didn't want to wear it anymore because it was falling apart. And so you would just kind of set it aside because that's your little treasure. It's your good memory. It's, your, it's a thing you're, you're not going to use anymore, but you have some emotional attachment to it. So you just kind of set it aside, and it stays there. Well... Sometimes that's what we do with our faith. We have an emotional attachment. You know, God did do something in my life 20 years ago, but now, you know, he and I are on good terms. I'll just set everything aside. And our faith becomes something we don't use anymore. It's just a fond memory. We go to church on Sunday. We have our favorite Bible that we may bring with us, but the rest of the week... It just sits on the table. Or are you the type of person that wakes up and quotes Psalm 118.24, this is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Is that the way you wake up every morning? Is that what you do? Then your faith is alive and active. You're looking for what God wants you to do. You took your faith off the shelf and you're wearing it, whether it looks kind of scruffy or not. Paul's talking about a sincere faith. Sincere here in the Greek means genuine. It means genuine faith 
or another word is undisguised. It's a genuine faith. If we have a sincere faith, we're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to put a disguise on it so no one will recognize it. Sincere faith is not a hidden faith. It's an assurance and a confidence, and it applies to our whole life, and we live our life accordingly. What's, what do you, if someone comes up to you, what's your identity? When, if someone comes up to you and they ask, are you a Christian? If somebody just out of the blue comes out, are you a Christian? What do you say? Do you, are you suspicious and say, why do you want to know? Are you indecisive and say, uh, maybe? You know, are you inquisitive and say, uh, who are you? <laughs> I've done that one. Um, or you're just downright rude and say, none of your business. You know, that might be one of the things we say. Or do you say sincerely, yes, why do you ask? Or, yes, do you have a question? Or, yes, how can I help you? Sincere faith is not disguised. It's not something you just break out on a Sunday or with other Christians or with the pastor. I'm not saying that you need to wear a Jesus loves you t-shirt or what would Jesus do hat, but you can do that if you want. But that's not what we're talking about. What we're saying, and I think what Paul is telling Timothy is, love one another with a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Make it known. Make your faith known. If your goal and aim or your charge is to love, then we'll not get caught up with all the myths, all the genealogies, all the opinions, or the people's opinions around us. We won't get caught up with our own opinions of them. We won't be distracted by various motives because our motive is to show and to share about the love of Christ. That's our motive. That's our hope. That's our desire. That's what we want to do. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's, so, it's such an importance put on love. Oh, no one, anything except to love each other. When you get a bill, I've gotten lots of bills. I've gotten lots of hospital bills lately. And hospital bills, for some reason, when I get them, I feel like I have to pay them right away, like they're going to, you know, repossess what they did. I don't know what, the, what it is, but I feel like they've got to, I've got to pay the bill, and I feel like I owe them, and it's, it's service provided, and now they want payment, and I should pay them for that. Paul is saying, pay up people. That's what Paul's saying. Pay up people and love one another. That's what he's saying, because that's what we owe. We owe love. That's what scripture says. The main scope of this is to get us to love God and love one another. Not to take an element of love or a characteristic of love and to think that we're a Loving people, to think that we've arrived because we did something nice to someone. Whatever tends to weaken either our love for God or our love to, toward one another, let's just set it aside. We need to set those things aside. Love the easy, 
Love the difficult. That's what scripture wants us to do. Love the easy and love the difficult. Before you became a Christian, do you think you were easy to love? God loved you anyway. That's the example for us. So in winding down here, we have to love, learn to love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. But if you want a pure heart, go to God. Now this is, this is, this is just the bottom basics of how we do this. If you want a pure heart, go to God. David prayed in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in with me. Go to God. Ask God to help your heart. Do you have a good conscience? Do you want one? Rely on God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's interesting here because... In this passage, we, we kind of have mercy versus present. Mercy versus present. And a lot of times we get this twisted around, but Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies. What we usually do is, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present. No, it's the mercies of God that we need in order to present. So we want to make sure we're relying on God for his mercy to be able to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed. I don't know. I can't transform myself. Okay? I need to have God transform me. Transformed by the renewal of your mind. A lot of times we focus on the renewal of the mind. Well, what can I do to renew my mind? I'll read more, or I'll, I'll pray more, or I'll, I'll do something. I'll take vitamins. I don't know. I'll do something to renew my mind. No, be transformed. Allow God, the mercies of God, to transform by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? Do you want a sincere faith? Do you want a sincere faith? Accept what God has done. If you want a sincere faith, faith accept what God has done. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. When we try it to do it ourselves, it's putting the cart before the horse. It's just not going to work. To get a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith we start by getting or renewing our relationship with Christ. So we need to seek God. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, seek him. If you need to renew your life in Christ, seek him. And he will he'll pour out his love. He'll pour out his forgiveness. He'll pour out his restoration, and it'll be a prevalent part of your life. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your, your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is clear. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes your word is even hard to, to swallow, but it requires something of us. 
we ask, Lord, that you would change our hearts. Lord, that we would have a pure heart. Lord, that you would help us in our dealing with the things in everyday life so that our conscience is good. Lord, we also want a sincere faith. So we pray, Father, as we come to you, that you would help us so that love will come forth through our lives. Not our own opinions, not our own hates, not our dislikes, but your love that we might have an impact in a world that is not so very loving. So we thank you, Lord, for your word again in Jesus' name. Amen.